Welcome to the Weed Smart Regional Update with me, Jessica Strauss, the Weed Smart Communications Lead. This is a new podcast in these crazy times as in-person events can no longer go ahead. So each Monday we'll have an expert from a different cropping region to provide a regional weeds-focused update. Let's get into it. Today on the Regional Update podcast, we're chatting with Neil Durning, who is a private agronomist with Riverina Independent Agronomy. Neil facilitated a glyphosate resistance ryegrass day last week, supported by the GRDC and FarmLink Tamora, which was held in southern New South Wales. Neil joins me on the podcast now. How are you going, Neil? Very well, thanks, Jess. Yourself? Really good. Now, this sounds like it was a cracker of a day. So you facilitated this day on glyphosate-resistant ryegrass. What prompted the event? So certainly this year we've seen incidents of glyphosate-resistant ryegrass or or rather ryegrass escaping glyphosate applications increase across a very broad area at an alarming rate and we sort of thought it was time to take five minutes out and speak to some experts to try and address what we can do about this going forward. Yeah, excellent. So you had a really good turnout, lots of engagement. How did the event go overall? Yeah, really good. Feedback's been very positive. Peter Botsalis' talk was excellent and certainly challenged some of our existing thinking about how we're approaching the glyphosate resistance issues and uh, particularly in regards to the quality of glyphosates that we're using and obviously the cost benefit of, of buying some dearer ones, better quality stuff, and also where we're going with our pre-harvest glyphosates. I know I had to challenge some of my strategies with some of the information he presented. Yeah, okay. So, so Neil, what's the top tip you have for your clients when it comes to dealing with glyphosate-resistant ryegrass? Sure. So, I mean, we had it emerge fairly early with some growers 10 years ago, so we've been managing this on farms for that period and, and I might say successfully, so it hasn't always been a winning situation, but we, if I look at those patches that developed glyphosate-resistant ryegrass 10 years ago, they're fairly clean now and there's not a lot of ryegrass there but the problem keeps emerging at other parts of the farm and where you least expect it. So it's it's a constant battle. So we certainly are very conscious not to let those ryegrass get any size on them at all, particularly in that early autumn period. We cannot let them get beyond five leaf or we just really struggle to kill them. So uh, double knocks, of course, but it's really in the timing of operations and having the capacity with boom sprays to uh, whale in and get those jobs done in a timely manner. And you mentioned just before there about Peter Patsalis challenging some of the ideas. What were some of the key takeaways from the day overall that you think really resonated with with yourself and maybe growers as well that they might take away and, and implement? Yeah, so the common ones certainly was, as I mentioned, the quality of glyphosate. So the information he presented on the different, I suppose, manufacturers or and particularly the grams active in each of those glyphosates that he's getting significant, vastly significant results on particularly ryegrass that's developing resistance. There is an opportunity to kill them early with quality high-load glyphosates, but if we're playing around with cheaper generic-type products where the quality may be highly variable, to put it nicely, then... I don't think we can expect those same results and it really is making the problem worse. So if you do have these issues developing, we've really got to have a serious think about the quality of glyphosate that we get. The second the second thing that really challenged my thinking that he, he talked about was pre-harvest glyphosate applications. So they've been a significant tool for us managing ryegrass seed banks, particularly in canola, 
and further north and west in Bali. And uh, he spoke about if we do do those pre-harvest glyphosates, then really the only pollen we're leaving behind is is glyphosate resistant ryegrass pollen and we're actually making the problem quite a bit worse a lot faster by selecting those out at the back end of the season so we would be better to leave susceptible pollen in there as well to outcross and dilute the amount of resistance in that population for the future years yeah that makes sense and were there any other takeaways that come to mind from any of the other presentations Sure. So we also had, we're very fortunate to have the assistance of Tristan Steventon and his team from StevTech who mapped out with a drone on one centimetre pixels and mapped a three-leaf wheat crop and picked up the resistant ryegrass plants within that. And they were able to, with the assistance of Hutchin and Pierce, the John Deere dealers locally, to push that map into a self-propelled sprayer and uh, with a bit of tweaking, got the sprayer to turn on individual nozzles to take out patches of weeds so a long way to go with that yet we weren't able to get it down as fine as we liked so we were ended up taking about a meter squared around each plant but first step on a long journey i think this is a really positive step going forward and they'll get this technology a hell of a lot better over the next few years yeah that sounds really exciting well it sounds like it was a really good day what would you say to growers who are dealing with this glyphosate resistance, ryegrass issue, what sort of advice or tips would you give from your learnings from the day? I think we've just got to stop burying our head in the sand. Fence lines are a major issue for us. Uh, um, We've done a really good job at rotating herbicides throughout our farms and whole paddocks, but down here our fence lines are the ones that we started spraying with Roundup 30 years ago and still doing it, and spraying ryegrass, middle of winter, frosty conditions, just getting horrible results, really big plants. And that's where our problems have developed. And then the header picks it up on the edge and throws it 40 feet into the paddock and, and away we go. So I think it's a it's a whole farm approach and we've just really got to concentrate on what we're doing on those fence lines to, first of all, stop the problem getting any worse. And then also once we've got it widespread or developing, I think the dry seasons don't really show us where we're up to. We get away with a lot of survivors that we don't really see. But when we get a wet autumn and those ryegrass plants are on good moisture and warm conditions and they grow really rapidly, we get a a really good look at at where we're up to with our developing resistance. And I think if the next five years is like the last five years, well, it, it could be pretty scary where we're up to. Yeah, right. Okay, important to take note of that. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or...? To me, it's a bit melodramatic, but this is a topic I see that, you know, this is what we do over the next five to ten years is really, I suppose, what we leave for our kids to farm, and and I don't want to be remembered as a bit of a uh, chemical cowboy during our our time at farming. So, yeah, I'm just a bit mindful of the legacy we're leaving behind, and particularly I don't want to ruin the, you know, glyphosate's a really important chemical for us. I'm reliably informed that we bring in 140 million litres of glyphosate every year and we crop about 22 million hectares. So we're averaging somewhere about six litres a hectare of glyphosate over our farming area. And I just don't think we can continue to do that long term without having an effect on our farming system. So we need to be mindful of it. Yeah, great point. All right, well, thank you so much, Neil, for joining us on the Regional Update. Okay, thank you.